On this episode, we're hoping to normalize viewing theme parks as literature and non-traditional masculinity. Trigger warnings include dangerous giant fan blades, using science to create new life forms, and eating seafood. You can find Amusement Sparks on social media as Amusement Sparks, and I'd also like to promote a new project. Um, it's something I've been working on for a long time. It's actually a, a near-future science fiction um, series. The first novel is nearing completion, and we're looking for a publisher, so hey. Um, but also, we're making this social media account, which is in canon. So it's like the characters in the story are making the social media account. So it's pretty self-serious, but it's it's exciting content that's pro-education, um, progressive, and all ages friendly, as you might expect from the creators of Amusement Sparks. Um, but yeah, if you want to um, check that out, um, the setting is in this high-tech school. That's kind of my dream vision of how I want education to go in the future. Um, it's called Teru Academy, which is it's an acronym, T-E-R-U Academy. And that's the handle on Instagram, um, Twitter, and Facebook. I think Instagram is probably the best platform for it just because it's designed to have square images, yada, yada. Um, Teru, T-E-R-U, stands for the Tactical Exploration and Research Union and they have this academy. Um, so yeah, if you want to check that out, that'd be awesome. And uh, just a reminder that all of our merch, which is available on Society6, you can find links on our social media to get to our store. Um, all of the proceeds currently will go to Black Lives Matter. We had some technical difficulties on this episode, so um, a benefit of that was Buddy and I got to just kind of have some small talk for a little bit. So we talked about uh, education and podcasts. And so if you want to hear that, it'll be at the very end of the episode. Welcome to Amusement Sparks, the theme park design show. I'm your host, Andrew Spawn. And today we've got two special guests. We've got Buddy Duquesne and Alice White from Those Happy Places. How are you two doing today? Super good. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I'm super excited to be on the show. I have listened to your format. I love it. Speculating about uh, theme park design is literally my only hobby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm so excited to just like give this a shot because I'm, I'm just like way too stoked on the, uh, the subject of today. Um, which is a, I don't know, like a pet design theory of mine that I, I can't, mm. I can't give up on. So I want to bring it here now to Amusement Sparks and see if we can't refine it in some ways. This is the place for those impractical theme park dreams. So <laughs> <laughs> I definitely see it as, as impossible. Um, but I, I definitely see it as within the realm of human possibility. If the, if the humans involved would just, you know, get on board mm -hmm. with this idea. So, so if we put it out into the world on this show, I'm thinking that maybe we'll all get a phone call in like a week. Yeah. And and they'll ask us to build it and we'll be set for life. Stranger things have happened. So. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely going to happen for sure. <laughs> well, let's just go into it assuming that and uh, we'll only be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about those happy places? Sure. Uh, those Happy Places, uh, which we like to call the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature, uh, is exactly that. We like to take uh, theme park rides or lands or just ideas about themed entertainment and analyze them and talk about them um, as they as they should be talked about, as literature, as pieces of art, um, and not just fleeting entertainment. 
Yeah, there's this this tendency to kind of look at theme park rides for some reason, like theme parks, theme park rides and their attractions uh, as as kind of flash in the pan, as novelties, as things that are based on movement and not really on storytelling. When we all kind of know that that's just not the case, that these are like deeply artistic, expressive, iconic places that mean something, that tell stories, that represent parts of our culture that are so deeply ingrained that you can kind of just talk about them anywhere and people will know what you're talking about. Like, these places matter. And that's part of the mission of those happy places is to say, like, okay, so if these places matter in the way that movies, TV, video games, novels, podcasts matter, then they they need a podcast like ours to talk about them like that and so we think what we do is kind of unique and cool um but also we think it's like an important thing that we hope other people start doing too right hopefully it's just normalizing a genre you guys are just like the first ones through the door to kind of treat it with this respect and and kind of i I really personally like the way you've kind of started to classify things a little bit i feel like that always legitimizes like a new niche if it's like you know, you've got the the Duquesne uh, taxonomy of theme park guests <laughs> and Alice White canon classification system. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Like those two episodes were ones where I was like, "These people get it. Like this is so good," because <laughs> um, it really legitimizes it, and it's obviously a legitimate thing. Like it's a, a huge uh, industry, or at least it was before COVID. LOL. Um, but <laughs> I, it's a hugely significant thing for so many people. Like people are obsessed with theme parks and and the theming itself and the way that it's interactive storytelling and stuff you can kind of walk into and the blending of your media and your place you're standing in in a really special way. Um, but it is underappreciated, I think, in a lot of ways and, and treated like a carnival or something. But it's, it's yeah. so much more than that. And I really appreciate your work, what you two have done and what you've brought to... Um, this theme park appreciation, it's a, it's a cool thing. Thank you so much. That means a lot. It's nice to know that, the, that other people get it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such an honor that you, uh, that you like love our show and, and like, I don't, hearing Duquesne taxonomy of theme park guests <laughs> out of anybody else's, <laughs> out of anybody else's mouth is like the ultimate honor. I can't believe oh, that's it. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out over here. I don't even know how to say it. Um, in a way, it is like in the early days of a new like genre of research or something, or genre of appreciation, where it's like there's it's not a ton of people in this space, so like them citing each other is pretty normal, but it's also really exciting because it's like it's very validating. It's like yeah, I you know you're right. It's kind of a new a new thing. Yeah, we're noticing that that it is emerging like in in actual academia too. So mm. we're we're excited to kind of start to branch into you know, talking to some of these experts that are doing that, like, high-level academic research about theme parks and, and and just start to, like, be like, hey, we want to be in this conversation, too, because right. we we love this. Um, mm. And, and we, we, we love our happy places, right? And so mm. how, can, how can we continue to elevate the conversation beyond just gossip or history, which is, you know, for me, a fine thing. Sure. Let's, let's keep talking about the story and let's keep building that. Yeah, and I was looking into theme park podcasts and most of the ones I found myself gravitating towards were more about the history and that's those are the ones I really liked and then that kind of got me thinking about designing new ones and what's the future of theme park design look like and I just wasn't finding anything so I started this show like that's where this concept came from it was um originally like 
the, the original concept was, could there be another Walt Disney? Like, is it possible for another person to make such a huge impact on themed entertainment and entertainment in general, just one individual? Um, and then when the answer was just a resounding no from everyone I like kind of <laughs> did a prototype episode with, um, it was like, well, this is going to be a sad format. If like, <laughs> it's like, who wants to be a millionaire? Nobody. Like, that, that would be a really sad show. They have to change the title. So then we were like, well, okay, let's just pretend like, you know, what if uh, Minecraft was the next, you know, Mickey Mouse or whatever. So we make a whole theme park around that. And it's like, oh, wait, that's a show idea. Um, so, yeah, this I think both of our shows came from a similar place of, of feeling a need. Like, I wish there was a thing like this. I guess I'll just make it. And then enough people do that. And suddenly you have, like, a thriving culture. And we all are listening to each other's shows and, like, getting that thing we always wanted. So... It's really cool, too. The podcast, like, low barrier to entry, like, you can just start making the things you want and being the change you want to see in the world, and uh, it's a happy thing, isn't it? It's a happy place. <laughs> it totally is. And and in answer to your question, if there can be another Walt Disney, I think, I don't think we want one. Mm. And and I think that's that's kind of the, like, the proof of Amusement Sparks, in, in my view, is that, like, Whoa. we all have these big ideas, right? Like, we, we all imagine bigger than Walt ever could have. Um, and I think, you know, to to say, you know, the world is full of people who are who have moved beyond those ideas even, which like we have we have the we have Disneyland and the Disney parks as a baseline. Like how do we go beyond that? And uh that for me is the big question of like let's develop theme parks and, and themed entertainment for the future. So you guys had a lot of, uh, you have a lot of fandoms, I would say. You both do a lot of podcasts. You're into a lot of things. You're into theme parks, which that's its whole thing that represents tons of other IPs. Um, what did you bring to the table today for this episode of Amusement Sparks? I am 1,000% honored to bring this to Amusement Sparks because, like, speaking of Disney uh, and and Walt Disney and the Disney parks and all of that, you know, it's not like they've never, they've never missed. And I feel like this is a huge topic of debate amongst many Disney animation fans and historians. The period uh, often referred to as the decline of Walt Disney animation. That, depending, depending on who you ask, started with, like, Tarzan, maybe? Which I dis I disagree with, um, like fundamentally. But at the time, I agreed with it that 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 was like this feels like this feels wrong. It feels like the Renaissance is over. I like Phil Collins, but I, like my <laughs> uncle was too into Tarzan, where it wasn't cool. It was like maybe I was in the wrong place. Like I had grown <laughs> past it or something. I don't. I wasn't. I don't know. Right, and and so so we we had these these misses right with with you know Tarzan is fine, and 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 so is like Hercules and. And, and a couple of these other movies that genuinely now I'm, like, nostalgic for and really like. But there were a couple of movies that everybody, like, calls flops. And maybe they were box office-wise. Um, but for me, they were, like, defining, memorable, interesting, a new take for Disney animation. And honestly, like, technologically revolutionary. And these two films, these two films are Treasure Planet and Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Uh, no, those are two that I absolutely stand out from that time period for me personally. Um, Alice, do you have any specific um, like connection with these two pictures? 
I am also a huge fan of these. I think our our particular age group, um, maybe our subsect of our generation, I feel like these movies came out at like a really formative time. Um, not just in our lives, but in like animation and technology, where you start to see, um, you start to see like we we we've gotten computer generated imagery moving into Pixar has has kicked off powerfully with with Toy Story a few years before, um, but you start to really see how they can meld traditional animation with computer animation to create. I think these two movies both extremely um ambitious and very um like like they're huge leaps forward in these in this the kind of storytelling that they that Disney was was trying um and yeah my uh, I had a particularly soft spot for uh Atlantis uh, really into Kita. like how I found my Barbie dolls the other day had had her um she's the best um it was just like a like a, a really interesting time in animation that yeah maybe maybe didn't do very well financially but absolutely i think cemented itself in in the hearts of many of us yeah and and their their aesthetics are both so distinct and yet there's kind of this common thread between them where they've got this this kind of steampunky kind of like light fantasy but not not too light, you know, it's just a, a little bit outside of the ordinary in terms of design. They're both really uh, Vernian, like mm. Jules Verne. Yeah, um, absolutely. In, in their design, and they, they've got this... I mean, like, there's there's this deliberate feeling in these two films that they, um, they're pushing to be not princess movies like really hard like there's not there's not even a whiff of princess in these movies legally uh there is a princess actually that's true i get what you're saying yeah kita's right there she doesn't smell like a princess if we're talking about whiffs i don't know she's amazing first of all (laughs) absolutely she's in a different age bracket than most of the other disney princesses she might be like uh, mulan isn't really a disney princess right because she's not royalty but Mm -hmm. she she's kind of in that pantheon um but Kida's really like an action princess like she's for real a princess yeah. the the daughter of the king yeah. like an absolute princess yep absolutely i love her hair too super cool the character designs i think are really cool i was thinking that these two films are like kind of timeless in that they're a unique blend of genres and stuff and like the closest thing i can think of before that is almost like batman the animated series where it's like kind of dark and you can't tell what time period it is but it's just kind of like noir and like they can kind of flub the time period to make it fit with the technology they need for the story and i think both of these do that really well and they're darker than most disney movies and more kind of action oriented but they also have more of like a i don't know um it doesn't seem like kids fair necessarily like there's a lot there for the adults or for like fans of history which is a niche that doesn't get satisfied very often like yeah. I know there's some really cool, um, unique things that like the world building is like super immersive and not just gimmicky there to sell toys or anything. It feels like you said, like Vernian, like it feels like earnest early sci-fi. Yeah, and dark too. While you're at it, like the body count in some of these <laughs> yeah. films are really shockingly high. I just I just turned off Atlantis: The Lost Empire, and there's the line where he says. You know, seven hours ago, we had 200 people on this boat, and he looks around, and it's just the named characters, 
and like a couple of randos and he's like we're all that's left and i'm like you lost 150 people you lost 150 people five seconds ago. This is a Disney movie. It's huge. Gonna... <laughs> and they, like, take a moment and they, like, have, like, a, a funeral type of thing. It's like, yeah, man, this is like a war movie. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's really, it's really sad. I remember distinctly, too, the first time watching um, Treasure Planet, um, the death of Billy Bones right at the beginning of the of the film when he collapses oh, on yeah. the ground and that his tongue lolls out of his mouth and everything. Like, that's so dark. <laughs> It's incredibly dark. Not to mention the death of Mr. Arrow, which is its own kind of traumatizing. I mean, like, it's yeah. right there with Mufasa for me. Mm. Like, I'm yes. watching I'm watching Mr. Arrow fall into this black hole and I'm I'm crying. This this man, he didn't deserve this. Um Not at all. And so I don't know, these movies have a resonant emotional core. They have mm. themes of growing up, of finding your place in all of this. Uh, I I resonate deeply with Jim and Milo as protagonists. More Milo now than Jim, but when I was a teenager, Jim Hawkins, I got him. I'm like, so I, with yeah. you. He's got this kind of. I mean, just look at the character design first of all. Like, it's, look at his cute '90s haircut. It's so <laughs> cool, so and he has cute. one earring, and like so many amazing things yeah. going on, and kind of just like angsty teen thing going. And then he has this whole character arc, which I think is really cool. And I, too, relate to Milo a lot. Like, I'm kind of the adjusting my glasses, running around, <laughs> I know how to fix the boiler type of person. Um, yeah. So, like, I relate to that a lot. But as a teen, I, I was like, Jim gets it. Jim knows what's up. <laughs> Jim gets it. And both of them have kind of a, an, a like, a non-traditional masculine, yes. like, like, ne- like, vibe about them where yeah jim's you know sporty very skateboardy it's very late it's 90s. very late 90s um <laughs> and but he you know he's he's got the the that that action kind of like sportsness to him but at the same time you know he's 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 little he's young he's baby-faced he you know he's not he's more um like think on his feet smart rather than like use you know, use your strength to get out of everything. And, 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 and Milo, of course, is our big nerd who is darling. And yeah. And so they, both of them kind of represent different kinds of, of non-traditional masculinity that is really important. Yeah. As Disney goes into this era of filmmaking, it's not the princess filmmaking. um, And it's not, you know, the princes are, you know, chiseled jawed, silent, but uh, you know, intense, uh, you know heroes they're you know your 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 male heroes can be all kinds of people yeah and you've mm. got these movies following right after tarzan who's like the very definition of the of the strong you know silent type mask you know mm-hmm. um and and especially um atlantis not just you know milo as our hero but the like extremely diverse cast of characters that follow it where everybody has a different skill set and different body types and different races and you're kind of presented with all sorts of this isn't your normal like this isn't your normal disney movie yeah look at what look at what we got for you i was blown away by this like it might have been the first like ensemble cast that i was like wow i love there's so many cool people like it was such an exciting thing to watch the first time it's almost like watching an oceans movie or something it's like look how different everyone is and how their skills are so different and like how their differences make them really fun to bond and like seeing different pairings of them um interact is like 
really cool and magical and like celebrates diversity in a really cool way, a very authentic way. Um, and I just remember like there's so many characters that get to have their own personalities and like everyone is funny in their own way and it's not like there's just a comic relief. Well, mole maybe, but um, <laughs> each character seems like at least a, a real valid character. Like they at least have a thing that they're trying to do. No one's just there to make jokes, but everyone makes jokes. Like I love that about Atlantis. Even- it's so cool. Even Mole has moments of earnestness. Yes. Right? Like, like, yeah, yeah he's like a weird mole person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, also, he's, he's got feelings. Like, he does. He and cares, he cares about passionately things. about that dirt. Like, he, he didn't true. just put dirt he in the bed as it. a joke. He was trying to do an experiment. And like, he was upset that his, <laughs> his research got, you know, damaged when Milo tried to go to bed. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you know, like, I love, I love all of the characters in Atlantis, the Lost Empire, specifically, like you said, because it's kind of got that Ocean's Eleven quality where where everybody's bringing something different to the table and everybody is so unique design wise and personality wise. It's amazing. I've always felt that the main flaw of of Atlantis, the Lost Empire is that it's a a 70 minute Disney film. No, it's Mm. I guess it's like 100 minutes. Uh, but it's, it's not long enough. It's most unique right. parts. It's most interesting parts are the shortest parts of the movie. Um, the the journey through the caves to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Part of it is done in a montage. When I all I want is to see these characters interacting on adventures. Right. And this as a the... Disney Plus series would be so good. Like it, <laughs> oh my god, the Mandalorian style. Like oh, I would yes. love. That. Like you wouldn't believe it would yeah. be. Anyways, I I just think that there's so much potential there and yeah like you're saying like a disney plus like not even a limited series i'm talking about this crew goes on adventures forever and i would watch (laughs) it um and and the same goes for treasure planet actually where i feel like the shortcomings of treasure planet is that it has to tell the story of treasure island when what it really wants to be is this remarkably unique take on space travel as seafaring Mm-hmm. Um, and that that really amazing, rich design of these solar sailing ships uh, and the winds of the Ethereum pushing them into uncharted lands. Uh, the most exciting scene is when they're reading this story about Flint doing this uh, this heist of this, you know, solar cruise ship. And the people on the boat being, like, all terrified of the pirate crew. It's like, where's that show? Where's that movie? Mm. Like, I want to watch this. Wow. With these huge gothic spaceships with sails on them. And, like, these decadent ballrooms and and they're swinging in through the glass yes like where is that except the movie tells a different story a compelling one like i i love this long john silver like there's a reason why treasure island is a is a classic and is as well revered as a uh like a true a piece of literature like it's a very compelling well-crafted story that translates really well i think to multiple eras and genres mm-hmm. like now suddenly it's it's space fantasy 
and there's dog and cat people. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> and they fall in love. And they fall Aww. in love. <laughs> but, so cute. So, so anyways, uh, obviously we care. We care about these <laughs> these properties, and we think that they're beautiful. But the reason the reason adapting them to a themed land or even even just an attraction is so important to me is because aesthetically and from like a mood standpoint, these two films have reached into my imagination and demanded to be more than what they are. Um, and that means that I want to see them in real life and I want to live in their worlds, even temporarily, even, even at a theme park, even if, even if there's only one ride, like I want to, I want to live that, uh, for a couple of minutes. And, and that's, I think what makes them so ripe for imagining what they could be, Mm. um, brought into the physical world. Like what would these, what would these places be had they been, the smash hit successes Disney wanted them to be. If they were if they were instant classics and Disney was building a, a new theme park at the time and needed to fill a land with with these new instant classics, what would what would they have gone with? And also me now here today, what would I want them to go with? Um and so I hope that's part of our mission today. I sure hope so too. And I, I do think like kind of like um, Star Wars or something like you can tell this universe has so much more potential for stories and giving people a happy place a little theme park where they can walk around that world there's it kind of unlocks a lot of those stories or at least hopefully would empower people to to discover more of those stories and give the designers more places to tell those stories and yeah so hopefully we can kind of kickstart that here all right uh are you ready Alice Andrew to hear my blue sky for treasure planet yes do it okay okay here we go there's only one place in treasure planet that i need to see realized (laughs) and it is montressor spaceport i knew it i knew you were gonna say that (laughs) how did you know i was gonna say that (laughs) well no just just just, (laughs) i'm not gonna get into it (laughs) it's montressor spaceport and it's not because of the cask of amontillado reference no that's what i thought you were gonna say (laughs) no uh it's montressor spaceport because it's actually the most well-realized environment in the film uh as far as like um non-vehicles because we we spend a lot of time (laughs) on on the ship right um and the ship would make a cool attraction and we can maybe get to that but you, you don't just build a ship and be like boom treasure planet is done so montressor spaceport is a spaceport it's a uh it's a sliver moon shaped town floating above a planet uh where ships can land and disembark it's got all of the thriving atmosphere of a seaport uh, except there are many strange and weird aliens walking around. And also, uh, the ships have these beautiful glowing solar sails. Um, and part of what I love about Montressor is that crescent shape. Uh, and also the view of the Ethereum or, you know, Treasure Planet's version of space. It's this, uh, it's space, right? But not exactly. Like, there's these cloud nebulas and, and space whales and you can breathe it kind of sometimes not all the time 
it's confusing. <laughs> it is. Um, and like the the majesty of that as a place for embarkation to adventure, I think makes it prime theming real estate. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the like I want you to build this town and attach a couple of attractions to it. Right. Uh, and and here's the kicker, because the view of the sky is so important, and because you know the sky in real life doesn't always cooperate. I think this needs to be a dome. Cool. Uh, and I think it needs to be a huge dome. Like we got to have a sense of scale here. Um, or it could be a really small dome, and we can use a lot of clever tricks to make it seem big. Um, but that's that's the thing that I imagine when I think Treasure Planet, the themed land. That sounds so cool. And I, I do think, like, ports are always an exciting thing. Like, for human beings, for one, like, human cultures always tend to build up around, you know, like, the edges of water and stuff. Um, but also, like, I feel like there's a lot of Lego sets of, like, ports. Like, it's just a fun <laughs> thing. Like, you know, for a low number of pieces, you can have, like, a lot of play happening there. And, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, there's always, like, fun port-related stuff. And so this the genre in general is a really cool setting. But yeah, I also love the aesthetic. It's almost like a Halo ring from Halo, but it's just a crescent part of that. And I think the first time you see it in the film is so cool. It looks like the moon, but you can see stars through it. And then like for people who know why the moon looks like a crescent sometimes, like you can't see through like in between there. Like you can't see through the moon. So this is really weird. And then like the camera kind of zooms in. You're like, oh, it's like it's artificial and it's actually crescent shaped. It's not just the light shining on it. It's so cool. Um, so yeah, I think my like request would be, it'd be cool if there's a part where you can look at it from far enough away where it just looks like the crescent against the, the stars in the background. And I think doing a dome is, is a really smart idea. I love that. That's a really, really good point that you make about, about ports. And I didn't even occur to me to think about how you can see the stars through it. It just, I just thought, Ooh, what a neat, animation trick mm-hmm. it looks like a moon but oh it's a spaceport you're totally right that's that, no that that's not even so- <laughs> nice <laughs> don't, um, don't laugh at that come no, on. oh no come moon. on it was pretty good okay this is really good i i should have done it i walked right you into did. it um <laughs> no you made you made a really 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 good point i it never even occurred to me but that would be such a beautiful illusion to mm. cast if you could make that work which, of course, we can because we have an unlimited budget. We can do right? anything. Our, can just... our budget is unlimited, uh, and we are only limited by our imaginations uh, and not by human physics, is what I believe okay. you told us before the episode started. You're right. right? So... Yep, absolutely. In your imagination, uh, you can do whatever you want. So that's what we're doing Great. here. <laughs> Great. So it's actually in the in the space. It's then. real. We can just recreate the like movie. Actually like, all space. the sets are real. And Oh, it's just in space? We're done. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Never done. mind. Forget <laughs> it. This is our life. Who <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> needs a dome on the ground? <laughs> Oh, so, but in space. <laughs> so I, when I when I imagine this place, I imagine a couple of uh, uh, similar walkable, uh, domed, you know, uh, fake sky places. Um, and I'm actually kind of reminded of like Las Vegas in a couple of ways. Um, if you've ever walked through like Caesar's Palace and kind of the, uh, you know, the canals of the Venetian and stuff like that, it's all indoors and they have these very controlled you know, skyscapes that are either painted or projected, um, you know, depending on when the place was built. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about the way that a lot of these uh, kind of areas mimic, like, streets. They, they're supposed to look like streets and, and be kind of like a market square. And so 
what I would hope we could design is some kind of, you know, kind of twisty, turny sort of, you know, rendition of the spaceport. You know, a lot like Batu actually, in, mm. in, you know, Galaxy's Edge or even the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, where you do feel like you, you're walking through a, an actual town that's actually populated by these aliens and so the other the other thing that i would love to see is you know bring some of these more unique alien designs from the film into the park and have places where you can interact with them you know kind of like a doc ondars um where you you can see the shopkeeper is that two-headed alien the one that's got a a face on its belly and a face on its face um (laughs) you know where where you've got this this ability to see some of these outlandish kind of, you know, truly creative creature designs uh, translate themselves into real life. But, you know, I'm thinking about taverns, I'm thinking about inns, I'm thinking about trinket shops and stuff like that um, with lots of lots of Easter eggs from this one film. <laughs> so uh, but, you know, that's that's also a huge part of it is everything from the Benbow Inn in in that movie is so warm and inviting like I want to be able to sit down at something like the Benbo and order like whatever whatever that frog kid orders, which I think is just like eyes in a bowl. Um, <laughs> I, like I want to be be able to order that and like like what is that like when you when you sit down at a, a spaceport in tavern sort of place? Uh, it's certainly different than a Star Wars cantina. I do sometimes worry that it's a lot like a Star Wars cantina, um, but no, it's, it's a lot of what you're describing. Kind of sounds like like galaxies yeah the difference alice is that this is under a dome <laughs> oh, oh oh got it and, and it only reminds us of galaxy's edge because they did it first you know if disney had been doing this like if they had really believed in treasure planet they could have had this 20 years before galaxy's edge or 18 years or whatever but you and, know and part part of ensuring the success of your property disney is believing in it enough to build a dome at your theme park uh, so I wish that Disney believed in everything that they make the way that Universal does. <laughs> the fact that they started building the Jurassic Park River Adventure before the Jurassic Park movie even came out. <laughs> they were just like, they're like, oh, yeah, this new dinosaur movie. It's going to be big. Let's make a ride. <laughs> It'll be great. It's like certified hit. Come on. Spielberg doesn't miss. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and they just do it. They just lean into it, even when when you've still got freaking Waterworld for crying out loud. Like <laughs> when you learn nothing? when 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 Universal decides they're going to make something and lean into it, they just never let go. The thing is, they're currently building another Waterworld land, and I believe Shanghai in their in their brand new Universal theme park. <laughs> they're just building Amazing. Waterworld again because they they won't let go of Waterworld as a property to use at their parks. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. I'm so proud of them Honestly, for doing that. They like, really swing for it, the fences. You're right. Whereas Disney people, can be a little safer sometimes. Not only people, time, still, yeah. people still remember Jim Carrey's uh, The Grinch, right? Even though we just did a new The Grinch. You know what? Just just have Jim Carrey's The Grinch show up at this Christmas. <laughs> it's fine. People love it. Um, yes, it's been it's been like 20 years since that movie came yeah. out. We're gonna we're gonna keep the set piece, even though it's faded all to heck in the. Um, <laughs> 
in the the tram tour at Universal Studios Hollywood, and that's just fine. It's just we're fine. gonna just leave it. You like Whoville, right? You remember uh, Frankie Muniz in Liar Liar, right? <laughs> like, what? you know what? Let's show the oh, clip. Oh, it's Big Fat Liar. It's Is Big, that fat, big liar. fat. Oh okay. yeah, Liar Liar's Jim. Yeah, Big Fat Liar. That's right. That's uh, I got my Jim mm-hmm. Carrey Frankie Muniz yeah, liars no. crossed. Oh yeah, when they were like, yeah, remember when Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes made a movie and we filmed it in the back lot? Paul Giamatti was there. Igno- sure and was. we just acknowledged it was the back lot and Paul Giamatti was in blue and it was awesome. We're going to reference that for the rest of time. <laughs> it's not like we've and made any new fine. movies since then. Like, <laughs> it, you have so many properties to pull from, but they just, they have certain darlings, I guess, that I don't know how it keeps happening. But It's it's definitely got to be a copyright problem, but be, yeah. I choose to believe that they just really, really like these movies. Right, Some kind of totally contract. By, by passion. Like, they're just like, <laughs> no, this must happen. I will not compromise on my vision for the Jim Carrey Grinch legacy continuing. <laughs> yes, and I wish that Disney would do the same because if Disney did the same, we would still have that really cool live-action musical of the Hunchback of Notre Dame in the back of of Disneyland. No, you're not wrong. It'd still be there, and, and we wouldn't have Galaxy's Edge. We'd have Hunchback we, <laughs> forever. We'd have we'd have Hunchback forever, or Gal- the spot that Galaxy's Edge is now would be Treasure Planet Land. That's <laughs> it would true. Be the Montrester Spaceport instead of the Batu Spaceport, and you know what? <sighs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Alice, you're passionate about this. I. I, I, I think we're discovering maybe we push some kind of button. Uh, but I, I do have I do have something to say here. You you touched on something with the Andrew, you touched on something with the, the significance of the port and mm. how it's a kind of a universal sign of of adventure and of, of beginnings, and you're right. And it's funny how many are already in Disneyland. Um, or, or your other Disney parks or even your universal parks. I mean, literally islands of adventure has a, a place called, what is it? Ports of departure or something like that. Like that's like the name port, port discovery. Is that not a thing at Paris? Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm thinking about Paris of the Caribbean. I'm thinking about the way that we embark on these adventures and the way that embarkation is such a key part, which is part of why I'm so drawn to it. I think, you know, why not one more port? Why not one more uh, one more themed cantina area? Like, why not? Um, Do it. Because it's like, <laughs> of course, right? Like, wh- what else is your theme park going to be about? If not all of these places where you get on something to embark towards your new adventure. Right. Every theme park is a port, really. It's like, which ship are you going to get on? And then when you come back from that, where are you going to go? And like, when you go into town, where are you going to eat? And then you can go back on another ship and go on another adventure. It's like, it's a hub. You know, it's like the the closest thing to a hub we have in our reality. It's like a cruise ship terminal almost all the time. Almost exactly. And and the the crazy part is, and this is, this is what I love is that, even even Disneyland's thesis, like on on the welcoming plaque, is about embarkation. Like here, you leave the world of today, right? Wow. And enter the worlds of fantasy and tomorrow and yesteryear and all that. Like it is about leaving. It's about crossing thresholds, and there are no more deliberate threshold spaces in our lives than ports of embarkation, airports actual ports <laughs> um, you know uh, train stations bus stations like these are the liminal spaces hate to use the term mm. but these are the liminal spaces that like you know make up you're about to go on an adventure you're about to go outside your ordinary and so that's why montressor for me has always captured like this it's gotta be this themed land and so my question for you is 
it's got to have some attractions. And I have a couple in mind, but I wanted to, like, open the floor and see, like, where does this take us for, you know, your your A ticket through your E ticket? Like, what's happening here? What's moving? My mind just initially jumps to the vehicles. Like, there's a lot of just kind of cool showcases of 2D and 3D animation um, in vehicles flying through harrowing paths um which make for pretty straightforward not necessarily straightforward but like kind of predictable like exciting adventure on a vehicle yeah yeah i've got i got one i got one it's like the e the old et ride um but instead of bicycles you're on a hoverboard done go on go on got it (laughs) (laughs) it's easy but that's but right it's um not necessarily straightforward but it's predictable like you Mm -hmm. said you could also do like it's the peter pan dark ride but you're on a boat with golden sails (laughs) you know like it's that that's like that seems like the the most straightforward path to take with a with a treasure planet themed land and and adventure right there's got to be something else. So, so I'm thinking about it, and I think I want a, I want it like a B ticket, like people mover style, move around the park sort of a ride. Mm. Um, and what it is is it's the sloops that they use in the in the movie. Um, so it's it's you know four people maximum, right? In these little boats with with the sail that just kind of unfurls above it. And what they do is just like the Peter Pan ride, but with a little less being enclosed mm-hmm. uh fly around the spaceport uh and and just you kind of go on a, a grand circle tour wow of this environment and you can view it from above um and maybe there's a couple of tunnels and stuff like that that you go through where we can get some like really beautiful lighting and you know there's that scene where they're on the sloop and that pop song is playing i'm still here <laughs> um yeah <laughs> and and they like they like dip their hands into the space yeah. And, like, splash it like it's water. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I just kind of want to recreate that moment in, like, a themed lighted tunnel. That sounds um, amazing. And just have the sloop fly through, and then you you swoop back over the spaceport, and you've got people just bustling around, going in and out of the buildings, lining up for the other rides. Um, and it's just, like, around the dome. Uh, and I think that's, like, your B ticket. That's, like, your your little thing. But But you're right. There needs to be a thrill, right? I don't know if you can do a standing hoverboard, rocket board, whatever it is that Jim actually rides. Um, well, that, yeah, I mean, you can do it like a Riddler's Revenge style roller coaster, standing coaster from um, Six Flags Magic, Ma- Magic Mountain. They have a standing roller coaster. That could be pretty sweet as a as a hoverboard. Now, you're on to something, but... but... <laughs> I want you to describe to me what what the people are doing when they're riding it because I can't I can't wrap my head around it. Like, are they holding on to the sail? Is it like a because it's like a like a windsurfer, right? right? Like, it's a surfboard with a sail on it, but for space. You could hold on to the onto the sail and stand on it, and then I guess you're in the harness too. Mm-hmm. This is a lot. So you though. have to be in the harness because the thing about the the Riddler's Revenge standing coaster style is like. Like you're being wheeled on a dolly, like Cannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, like you're strapped <laughs> in and standing, <laughs> and being and <laughs> it it works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're strapped in and standing. I think they could have the like sail in the middle of the of the ride vehicle. It couldn't go up that high because the thing is also 
Oh, it's not suspended. It's on. It's it's the the track is beneath. Yeah, Riddler is not suspended, but this one could be. This one could be suspended. Um, you still have your feet on little like on a little platform, but you could. Uh, that little platform could look like a hoverboard, and you could. That that could probably. The suspended coasters feel a little bit more like flying through the air than a than a regular coaster, right? That's true. Um, and then yeah, the top of it could the the part that's like an awning over your heads on a on a suspended coaster could be painted like the sail. Okay. Um. So then it it kind of looks like you've got something under you, and above you is that pretty gold of the of the sail. I, I do love, love that design. Um, it in like how the kind of close up shots of the one that Jim rides is like. It's very patchwork and like looks like he kind of scrapped it together of different parts. It kind of reminds yeah. me of like Anakin's pod racer and like it's a similar scene, honestly. Yeah, the, like, the one yeah. where it uh, where it's not firing right. and he needs to get through the gap and this it's not firing. Scrappy underdog and like he gets to have this fun high speed adventure even though he's like young and yeah, it's a, it's a cool oh, that's extreme so, you're sports so right. type of yeah. It's a it's, it's a definitely the same design ethos that that brought us those two scenes. Mm-hmm. You can no, definitely you're feel totally it. completely right. That's that's brilliant. That's a brilliant connection. Yeah, I love that. But I just mean like I like and, having that kind of maybe another connection with Star Wars is that everything feels lived in and worn out and like you can kind of tell yeah. how someone made this. It's not like it's perfect you know Star Trek mint condition type stuff. It's all <laughs> dirty and and worn. Exactly. Something I love about Star mm-hmm. Wars and definitely feels like that. Like Treasure Planet, like to, to bring it around, it's still got that steampunk, like Jules Verne style, like like vibe to it where everything is more like brass and bronze rather than um, like si- like pure silver or chrome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this different kind of sci-fi energy. Um, I think that like, yeah, like a good standing coaster like that through that construction site that he goes through in that in in that scene when he's riding all by himself uh, and then he gets pulled over by the cops and maybe that's where the ride comes to the end. <laughs> you know, I love it. as you're pulling into the terminal, the, the red and blue lights are flashing like, oops, <laughs> you got and then caught. You got, you got an animatronic cop at the end who's like, don't do that again. Yeah, get out. And that gives you a reason. Yeah, you have to get out of the vehicle and end the fun because otherwise you just want to keep doing that all day. Okay, I love it, yeah. but I want to. I want to. I want to ask you guys. Can we? There's one more thing I want to do with this this roller coaster, and it's the it's like the central gimmick of the climax of the movie, and it's the portals. Mm. Ooh, and, wow. and yeah. the way that they the the big triangle opens and closes uh, and goes from place to place. And I do want to go over Flint's Trove at some point and escape an explosion, if possible, through the portal. Yeah, that sounds like a really, like, that's the big attraction, I think, is kind of the plot of the movie, basically. Because some of the other ones are more, like, the establishing parts of the film and, like, um, just figuring out the world. Like, those can be more diverse experiences, but there should be one that's, like, here's the movie ride. Like, this is the stuff that you actually... um, want to do to kind of complete the the plot yeah, yeah. it's the rise of the resistance of um, galaxy's edge <laughs> all right like, all right so so to so to connect it to like a rise of the resistance what do you say to like getting on the ship right so you, you get on the ship that that they got on and it's a walkthrough queue uh that is used to hide the fact that you're actually exiting the themed dome and going to a place where the simulator cars are 
<laughs> the big warehouse space in the back. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you, you walk through the, the ship and, you you know, there's all the Easter eggs. Do- Dr. Dogbert Doppler is there. He's telling Aww. you how much fun you're going to have on your big adventure. You're going to go when we find... Make this, can, when we make this, can I meet David Hyde Pierce? Yes, obviously. Okay, right, like, cool. like he, he's going to reprise the role. Um, so, you know, the, the dog is there. The, the cat lady is there. Who played her? Oh man, I don't remember, but her the character's name is Captain Amelia. Right. Put some respect on her it's name. Emma Sorry. Thompson, by the way. Oh, it is absolutely Emma Thompson, yeah. isn't it's it? It's absolutely Emma Thompson. Yes. Oh, undeniably so Emma Thompson. So, and I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the main character. Like, that's a pretty early role for is. him. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wild. That explains the haircut. Honestly, it does. Um. It does at that. Uh, so, so, anyways, you're walking through the ship. You know, you go to the captain's quarters. Amelia's there. Oh, don't tell anybody about the the map. She says. Uh, and you know, then you, you exit and then there's a simulator box type thing where they're like, all right, all, all hands ahoy. And the ship takes off and you go on the adventure from the movie, just very truncated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would ride the heck out of that actually. Um, and, and so I think that's your anchor. Uh, you've got your thrill and you've got your, your fly around. Is there anything else that this land needs or is it kind of? A complete package is my question. The only other thing that I had kind of like sitting out on the table in my mind was uh, there's a scene where there's like solar wind and like there's like kind of a rough rocky seas moment, but that could fit onto any of the other roller coasters where it's just like we need a reason for more um, action. It's like, oh, here comes this big like solar wind storm thing. So that's. Yeah, that's a, a good moment. like starting moment, mm. like a get into the vibe moment to these uh, to the big to the big attraction. Um, and you escape the black hole, like, for sure. You escape the black hole, but no Mr. Arrow falling in. That's too sad. It's too sad for a theme park ride. Absolutely. For a theme park ride. Um, my, I, I worry, then, that um, that this ride is accidentally narrated by Martin Short. Mm. I don't I don't want that. He's the worst part of the movie. You know, by like a lot. I think, I think Martin Short was handed a script where... The directors were like, okay, so we're thinking, we're thinking Robin Williams is the genie. Yes. We're thinking Eddie Murphy is Mushu. Uh-huh, like, please uh-huh, just put in uh-huh. exactly that performance. Do your best. Uh, everybody's gonna love it. That we're gonna sell a million toys with this character. And Martin Short was like, I'll do my best, but you know these lines are bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just did it anyways. Like it's not his fault. Um, it's but- not his fault. No, but his, his, it. Mm, he's got. <laughs> a heck of a speaking voice doesn't he He does though at (laughs) that like he's he's definitely channeling some iago in there like there's there's just a lot going on with the character so i agree if we can minimize the the ben presence totally just have jim narrate or something like i think just having different characters maybe do different parts like yeah. You know, if Emma Thompson like... is available, I, I'd have her lead the whole expedition. I, I'm cool with that. I agree. She's got the, the authority and the charisma. Yeah, yeah. That works. Yeah. I just, I, I just, a sudden, suddenly I got this flash of uh, being on that boat and then hearing Ben's voice coming out of the speaker like Sala in the Indiana Jones ride. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for vo- helping us avoid that because that does seem pretty logical. If you hand someone the idea of this this ride premise they're like oh well obviously ben just you plug him in right here and then we're like no how did you <laughs> it makes know. so much sense but we hate it and honestly i wouldn't i wouldn't put jim 
in the ride because we're Jim. And I feel mm. like that does... I mean, we're not Jim, but, like... We wish we were. Yeah, we're in his place, <laughs> and I think that complicates things. Like, yeah, that's true. Dogbert can be there. Delbert can... Or is his name Delbert or Dogbert? Uh, it's definitely not Dogbert. That's the Dilbert character. Delbert. I think it's Delbert Doppler. Um, but I swear I've heard Dogbert somewhere in there. Uh, Dog Dogbert is for sure a, a Dilbert character. You can't you can't steal that. <laughs> okay. So Dr. Delbert Doppler can be there and Emma Thompson can be there, but it, it can't be Mr. Arrow should be there. Maybe Mr. Arrow can be there, but Aww. he can't die. No, he's and... alive. Mr. Arrow I like this. Mr. Arrow needs to do the put your seatbelt on now announcement. Yes. Like that needs to be Absolutely. In a Mr. Arrow yeah, voice. he's he's our he's our flight attendant safety check. He's he's our Patrick. Um, and and the thing is, now now that you say like maybe I want this to be more of a Soren than I want it to be a Star Tours. Mm. I I think I think so. Yeah. I think that I that's what I got was kind of getting from you. Totally, like a Soren or like a flight of passage. Yeah. And you know what? Now that I now that you say flight of passage, that's where I'm seeing the solar surfboard sail thing. No, I want it to be a coaster. You want that to no, be a you're coaster. Probably, you're probably right. It should be. That should be <laughs> Ooh, your thrill both. ride, but I can't figure out how to stand in a way that makes it fun. <laughs> it's not even about the physics. So they have these, like, arcade games that's, like, snowboarding or skateboarding where mm-hmm. you're actually standing on the thing and you have, like, bars around you you can hold on to. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about the E.T. version mm-hmm. of that ride oh, that I pitched first. Okay. Was like a, instead of the bicycles, you hop on one of those. Yeah, the old arcade games where you pretend to be a snowboarder. Super cool. Yeah, and you have to lean. I've definitely <laughs> fallen off one of those. <laughs> oh, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, by standing on it, you're legally saying you're going to hold on to both arm rails like firmly. So that's on you, unfortunately. If it, but if it were on a track, if it did any kind of inverting, I would definitely have died. Is mm-hmm. the thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We'll have harnesses. Okay. Um, and waivers. And we're good. Okay. <laughs> uh, so so yeah i i love it i'm thinking i'm thinking i want to feel the sway of the ethereum as the as the ship is moving through it and i i want to see the portals opening up and stuff like that and i definitely want to hear the crew like doing crew crosstalk and I love that. talking talking about space like it's an ocean and, and just living that that's that's for me what this land needs yeah I think so much of it is just being there, like just being in the place would be so satisfying. Like waiting in the lines for these attractions could be just as fun as the actual attraction or for certain audiences, probably us three, waiting in the line would be more fun than the actual like thrill, you know, like yeah. you're there for the characters and the ambiance and, and just being in that world that we love and didn't get enough of in the one picture. So yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. I'm on board. This, You're this totally is right. the ride. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, so Treasure Planet, I feel like, knocked it out of the park. Disney's going to call us any second now. Absolutely. I mean, long before this podcast episode is even released, I'm sure they're already <laughs> listening to this conversation. They're thinking, how can we lock this down? I'm thinking a 30-year contract. I'm there. I'm there. Um, so do you want to hear, do you want to hear Atlantis? Because I, I got, I got the worst one for Atlantis. Oh, good. Um, oh, we're going to lead with the worst one. <laughs> I like your approach. I like the enthusiasm. <laughs> I like that you know it's a bad idea. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, my, my theme park design sensibility lately, uh, when, whenever I'm doing these, like imagine, imagine your perfect theme park, 
unfortunately focuses on this idea that you should ride a ride into your themed land. Um, this is an idea that that is not my idea. Like, it, it, there are a couple of themed lands that are like this today. Probably most famously, uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter two lands mm -hmm. at Universal Orlando, where where you need to take the train between theme parks uh, to to access them both, or you don't really need to. Like, they both have walk in entrances. They're both kind of integrated into their um, their parks very seamlessly just for, from a walk-in standpoint. But you can take the Hogwarts Express between them. And I'll never forget the first time that I had that experience because going from Diagon Alley to Hogsmeade on the Hogwarts Express was so seamless and so outstanding as far as, like, themed experiences go. Um it left a really deep impression on me where I was like, every theme land should be like this. Like, I don't want to just arrive in Galaxy's Edge. I want to take the Star Speeder 3000 there. Like, that's how I want to arrive there. Like, I don't want to just walk in to a themed land anymore. That is so normal when I could be riding a train there. Uh, so, Atlantis is below the water. <laughs> Traditionally, yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're not doing, we're not doing the second movie, you know, we're not doing it, it rises out of the water and, and appears above the surface for once or whatever. We're not doing anything like that. We are, we're doing first movie, we're going into the water and under the ground, and we are arriving at Atlantis on a submarine voyage, um, to get there. And that is my, my number one pitch about going to Atlantis. Is, is that you can't just, I mean, you can just walk to Atlantis. In fact, it's going to have to have a walk-in, walk-out entrance and exit. That's safety. That's ADA compliance. That's super important. Like, yes, of course. However, the main way to get into the themed land, I think, is going to be a submarine ride. Um, and what's more, it's going to be those submarine pods from when they're fighting the Leviathan. Cool. So you're gonna yeah. you're going to be in a little pod that is very nimble and quick. And has basically, you know, it's it's kind of a journey to the center of the earth or 20,000 leagues under the sea, which, you know, are already attractions that Disney has done. Mm -hmm. It's just now it's now it's Atlantis, the Lost Empire. So you're in this fun little pod and you're going beneath the water. And to the level to which it's actually going underwater is it's kind of on the Imagineers. It's kind of on us here now to decide. But you, you've got to ride this to Atlantis. And once you get there, and I hate to say this to you guys again, because it, it just... You know what I'm about to say, but unfortunately, it is under a dome. <laughs> Meaning that you come out of the submersible or however you got there, there's a little pocket. Yeah, and you're in the dome at that point. That's really smart because I was thinking about like literally doing it where you go underwater and then you kind of come back up, but then you'd have to have really highly pressurized cabins and there's a lot more logistical stuff for putting humans deep underwater and then bringing them back up. So, yeah, let's fake it and put it in a dome. I love it. So, unfortunately, this is a second dome land, and I am so sorry. Honestly, I, I do apologize. It's good. Climate you controls. You have a problem. <laughs> you don't need to wear sunscreen. This is great. It's good for your skin. <laughs> yeah, the, definitely the AC and everything. You're if, round. if this, like every other theme park in the universe, is in the state of Florida, then, yeah, you're going to need a dome for sure. Right. <laughs> we could put this in... Anywhere in the world, though, in climate controlled, I think it's a great idea. I'm on board. Except for the water needs to stay liquid, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it actually, for reals, needs to be a dome, though, because is not 
the city of Atlantis in a dome the entire time. See, moment. that's the main reason, Alice. The main reason this one needs to be a dome is because it's actually movie accurate. What does this? That... What does the like quote unquote sky look like though? I can't even picture. Like I just watched that movie like two days ago. I can't picture any of the background like landscape Isn't it the, shots. The shield, like the um, like the 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 big like robot things that do the clap and then go like this and and then it's that like pretty yeah, blue yeah, yeah. shield i remember that part but what's what behind, would be that? behind it is glimpses of the ocean no because it's actually a it's it's actually like a rock dome right like the the place like melted down because the the energy <sighs> shield like yeah. caused it to like solidify right the like lava at the end yeah you do you do get lots of rocks falling at some mm-hmm. point yeah yeah. So so it's just a yeah, dome. Okay. But it's like, so it's, light. It's it's lit as if it's outside. Cuz that's all that's all blue crystals and stuff. Like oh, that's yeah. the crystals solve it. That just call them the crystals. <laughs> That'll fix everything. We're good. The, the thing yeah. is there you you've got this picture in your mind that I'm sure I have this exact same picture of the city of Atlantis sitting up atop a like a raised platform mm-hmm. in the center of the dome with a waterfall ring going all the way around it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of forming the the skyscape is like the the mists coming off of the, okay. the waterfall. That checks um, out. And and so that's what I feel like is this big impossible. You can't build that in the realm of reality. But as we have unlimited resources, time, people, like this is this this could happen. You ride a submersible into a dome where you then see the themed city of Atlantis. And then the submersible goes up this little waterfall, and then you get to walk around Atlantis itself. That's the most amazing visage I could ever imagine. It would be absolutely wonderful. And and not only that, but this place is going to be you know you know Pirates of the Caribbean water. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's gonna be. It's gonna it's, smell good. It's gonna be that, but a dome. Okay. No, it smells and, like and, a basement. It actually smells horrible because there's no <laughs> air ventilation. Yeah. It, <laughs> what the Disney Imagineers never realized is that musty was going to become mm. their singular, you know, most important scent. Um, it smells I like love fish. It. I love that and smell. Must and dust and uh, yeah, stale air. Thousands of years old. It's going to smell like volcanic ash mixed into. <laughs> it just smells like carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide. What is it? Human there's. Exhale? <laughs> I think carbon it's, dioxide yeah, yeah. for it's sure dioxide yeah uh and and honestly i don't think atlantis has a sewer system beyond that waterfall Oof. so watch out is it's a thousand years oh, of yeah. Yeah. nonsense where do you, when you flush the toilet where does the water go uh, it's it's just all the waterfall just takes it away and we, we stop the waterfall and falls back down into the water supply and it's a filter it's a filter they, they've got rocks and sand of various sizes it all just kind of filters out okay all right, I have I have a request for uh-huh. this dome. Um, when you get out of the um, when you get out of the the submersible and you're walking like into Atlantis, mm. um, I demand not not like request but like demand. This is a hard demand. To um, walk across a bridge that is a fallen, exploded pillar yes. that was made by the by the um, pyrotechnics guy, yeah. the demolitions expert. Um, and you know, he bl- he's like, uh, look at me, I made a bridge and it only took me like 10 seconds, right. <laughs> 11 tops. I'm saying to you that this place has no limit on it. budget or reality. And so <laughs> I need if it. you want me to go even further with my ridiculousness, we could ride a submersible to the point where they escaped the Leviathan. And then we could go on a drill trip with our favorite friends. Yes. 
and then we can go to Atlantis. But Ugh. I'm talking, it's going to take three hours to get to this themed land, right. okay? Like, this is a long ride. You got to hoof it. It's perfect. Or any of you drive a, a manual transmission, old-timey Model T car. Yeah. To... And us Milo Thatch types, that's never going to happen for I, us. Milo figured it out. It's just he stalled out. Like, that scene is so funny. Like, as an adult, like, after I learned to drive, that scene was so much funnier. Because when I was a kid, I was like, ha-ha, old cars go... Awuga or whatever, you know, it's like dumb kid stuff. But um, as an adult, I'm like, that's actually really funny. Like your first time driving a manual transmission, if it's like there's this long line of people depending on you right behind you so they see every single mistake. It's so funny. <laughs> it's a really good movie. That's that's so the comedic good. timing on it is just really good. But yeah, I it's love really this scene. So I love this adventure good. part of the movie. Like just the people going through kind of mundane um, journey yeah to the center of the earth type stuff like we're just going to mordor you know it's just like this long boring <laughs> journey kind of that serves a plot and we have moments to bond and um fun little moments like blowing that pillar down and like so good. i also like the thing from milo's perspective though as someone who's into researching this culture and trying to find clues and like translate stuff there's kind of like escape room vibes the whole way, like scattered throughout. Like Ooh. if you're really paying attention or maybe you have an app or whatever, um, you can find little things or scan a little dealy or like do a decoder situation to figure out what does this thing mean or which way do we need to go from here. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, because even if you There's don't have definitely... the physical brute strength or you're not the explosions expert or whatever, it's like, you're the translator. You need to tell us where to go. Like that's a, a cool nerdy skill that I'm into. Yeah, there's definitely, like, big um, Indiana Jones, Temple of the Forbidden Eye, like, carry a translator card energy, in, in definitely in, like, the cues, right? Like, <sighs> it it speaks to a, like, a desire to want to interact with the environment. Like, uh, right now, uh, and I hate to go keep going back to Galaxy's Edge, but, you know, there's all the Orabesh that you can transcribe if you want. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Atlantean is exactly the same like there's just a full-on you know a to z atlantean alphabet let's just start reading that like that obviously needs to be a huge part of anything bland um and and honestly if i were to just do an atlantis the lost empire attraction it would be an indiana jones temple of the forbidden eye clone like it would just be ride a jeep down a tunnel, escape some water things, and then see Atlantis, and then it starts to explode and you escape. Like, that that would be it. Right. But, you know, we have no limits here, and so it's got to be a dome, unfortunately, and it's got to be a whole city that you can walk through. Dang. <laughs> what a disappointment. I know, it makes me sad, too. So so we got this big... I mean, why not both? <laughs> we got, why not have both? So I love this idea of taking the ride to the land, um, but then when you get at the land, that's where I start to hit a couple of roadblocks. I've got a coaster that I want to put there, and it's the um, the Atlantean flying machines. Yes, as as a launched coaster, right? Um, where you can't, you don't even have time to like buckle your safety harness. You, you touch it, and it immediately launches. <laughs> right, exactly. You, <laughs> you hop on. Uh, maybe the crystal's already in, and there's like a fun, like little, not real, but you know, fun interactive part where. You know, somebody comes over the radio and is like, okay, turn the turn the crystal. And, like, you can. Like, it does turn. Uh, and then it activates, and then you, pew, off you go, right? Like, that's really that would be, cool. That'd be a super killer coaster, and honestly sounds pretty much just as good as any roller coaster I've ever seen. And the cool part about it is, since the conceit is that these vehicles fly, 
you definitely have kind of the fly around the dome energy coming off of these. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a it's not a huge lots of inversions coaster. I mean, this is a Disney park and you're riding one of those motorcycle style cars, I guess, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that's what those those flying machines are most like. So, it's really kind of a gentle, fast, slopey roller coaster um where you get a full view of the entire themed city by flying around the dome on these tracks that yeah. are cleverly hidden among the rocks. Right. I think the track goes up to the peak of the dome and back down or something like that. Like you get to kind of get take in all of Atlantis from there. It's like the best vantage point. You're uh yeah, getting to see it all from above. That sounds really cool. Yeah, and and I think the the cool part about this is is that it's also going to give your first view of Atlantis, however you arrive there, be it via submersible or behind a giant drill. Um, you know, it's going to give your first view a lot of kinetics. Like it's going to look really energetic. It's going to look like a a thriving city with these flying machines flying around it. Like it's going to look really cool too. It's basically the monorail of the Atlantis. Yeah, but faster. Oh, and way cooler, way cooler. Yeah, super yeah, yeah. cool. And I liked I really love the scene where um, they're kind of doing like tech support on trying to figure out how to get the vehicles to start because you have to like put your hand on a thing and do a quarter turn to the right with a little crystal. Um, yeah. But no one's ever tried that. So they're like, have you done a quarter turn? And they're like, yeah, they're like doing all these like troubleshooting things of like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And it's just a really funny scene. And they're like, well, did you try doing both at the same time? And they're like, no, like that's how you do it. <laughs> it's a really great moment. So I think it'd be funny if you get on this coaster and it's like, you basically have a thing you can turn and a thing you can put your hand on and maybe it's randomized or there's a few different possible triggers for it. So like you don't actually know when the launch is going to happen on this coaster where it's just going to go like, you know, zero to 60 or whatever. But when you do the right combination of things, it just takes off at that point. So like no one is actually ready for when it's going to just go. Um, but you triggered it. So it's like you turned on the ignition. <laughs> you just didn't know what you were doing. I think that'd be a really funny, like scary thing to, uh, to set up like it's almost like a haunted house type thing where someone's going to jump out at you but only when you push the right button and there's a hundred buttons so it's like yeah you're just like nervously like the more buttons you've pressed you know the scarier it is because you know what's going to happen soon but you don't know when and i'm really into that that's idea. really good i think i think the cue needs to be about that like mm -hmm. how how like oh we we're not quite sure how these work yet you know you got you got maybe you got milo there i don't know maybe milo's there uh, and and there's there's got to be like characters that are trying to figure it out, or maybe mm -hmm. you just overhear them trying to figure it out. Maybe you're watching it, but you know some kind of fun cue thing to connect to that idea uh, to give us give us that story before we're even living it. It could even be other part guests, like maybe there's a, like twenty different stations where you can get on, and the cue goes past all of them, and so like, you're watching someone trying to figure it out. And then they immediately take off and you're like, wait, what did he do? Like, I was watching, like, I saw what he did with his hand. And then you get to the next person. You can kind of, like, try to watch them to figure it out. Like, you're trying to learn by looking over other people's shoulders before they just launch off on this super, like, high-speed launch. Yeah. It's a weird I idea, think, but I, I think it's it. super fun. I think it's I love neat. that. Uh, it's, there's, a, there's an element of, like, what would it look like if, people were visiting Atlantis and trying to learn how to fly these things. Right. Like, what would that look like if we were all there for real? And I think what would be cool is, like, instructions in Atlantean. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing nothing makes a guest feel part of things uh, more than them figuring out how to figure out something 
so that they can then like live it to a greater degree, right? Like imagine knowing because you figured out how to read Atlantean. So the rest of your party is like, how does this work? And you're the clever one. That's like so cool. now, now you get to be the translator. Now you get to live the Milo Thatch experience, um, which I think is, is the ultimate goal. <laughs> I don't. I want to be the demolitions guy. Like that. Vinny has a lot of fun, and he's a great character. But, oh, most definitely. Yeah, he's so. good. I like having kind of different roles you can take on, and like each person's ability, you know, can get you through certain doors. That kind of thing. I'm feeling. I'm feeling a desire here, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm feeling a desire here for an escape room type attraction, or I like mean, yeah. journey through the hidden temple. Like everybody's got a little like character card maybe with like you know you get handed a stick of dynamite you get handed the book you get handed like a wrench to fix the motor and then we all kind of trek into these atlantean um you know ruins or whatever kind of like that scene where they're they're like diving and just like reading old atlantean and mm-hmm. uh it, yeah. that's the romance scene for Kita and milo but like i love that scene. What, what if we extrapolate on that like atlanteans need to rediscover atlantis as well um, and we expand on that idea. So it's like, now you will help us rediscover this part. Like, you know, take this outside perspective, like learn, learn something about our culture so that we can bring Atlantis back up to the surface or so that we can reactivate a giant crystal or something like that. Um, I think that would be cool. Yeah, that's amazing. That would be cool. And, and there's, there's a lot of room in just like building an environment to allow for that. I really want a like a like a shop or a store in the um uh in the land that's uh a, got a little bit of like Ollivander's wand shop to it, but it's like um like a crystal shop. You can go in and like find a blue Ooh. crystal or like they've got necklaces and jewelry and stuff like made of this of these beautiful blue crystals. You can kind of go in and find the one that speaks to you kind of thing and and help and then you can wear it and help tie you into the world kind of thing. I'd really like something like that. Of course there would be things there would be things around the area that you could like wave the crystal at and, mm-hmm. and it would do stuff. Yeah, exactly. Or like every hour, you know, the the bell could ring and everybody could be like, raise your crystals to help power the thing to keep the shield up. And you would be like, yeah, boo. And then everybody could do like a big participatory thing. Oh, I love that. Interactivity. That's really cool. I think the difference here between the Atlantis one and the Treasure Planet one um, is I think that the Treasure Planet one is like, it's about the... um, like the vibe and the and the music and the action and the and and the story, but I think Atlantis needs to be a little bit more like personal driven, like emotional core kind of kind of like experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're they're very similar. Like like Buddy's pitched already like similar rides or similar concepts for for both uh you need to be able to see the thing from above you need to be able to have a thrill ride and also a dark ride or you know something like that which is like all pieces of the of the experience um of what makes a good like the bark land um just you know, through trial and error and over the years and all of our experience with, with theme parks. But I think what really makes them or what really would make them stand, stand apart 
and and be unique to all other theme park experiences would be finding the like heart and the core that makes these like these IPs in particular special and different from each right. other. Like we we've we talked about why they're similar and why they spoke to us individually um and 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 yet why they're different is really the um the 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 thing that would that would set them set them apart and why we're why kind of why we're talking about both in one episode not just their similarities but their differences mm-hmm. as well the thing we never mentioned at the top of the episode i'm sorry to drop this on you you know an hour into our discussion about it andrew but <gasps> the, the thing we never mentioned is that th- these are the same theme park uh, <gasps> it's two domes i was thinking at least you're gonna bring this up the time periods are so question marky wait no atlantis is set in 1914, isn't it? Yeah, the 1910s, I believe. I think they say um, a year yeah, but at with the like, beginning, and then yeah, I'm sure years pass over the course of the film, but but with like really, really good tech. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> it's like magical 1914. But when is Treasure Planet set? Hmm. Well, it's it's set in space, you know. It's, the it's, portals. It's... The portals brought everything together. Yeah, it's a long time. time a long time ago, ago in a galaxy far in the galaxy far. And, far and away. so these these are the same theme park. They're, yes. It's a it's a hypothetical theme park um, called the Disney Domes. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's it's out in Area Fifty One, Nevada, um, <laughs> because we figured, you know, why not, where where better to put domes. Um, and the the great part is we're going to do a bunch more dome lands as we as we kind of expand here. So yeah, they're all going to be underappreciated Disney movies. <laughs> the Emperor's New Groove is it next. gets us whole its <laughs> own whole dome. Uh, mm-hmm. Which actually, you know what? We, this was not going to be part of the episode, but that that would be good. <laughs> that would be really good. I know. No, I, know. I think um, you two should come back and we'll do more domes. Like add on to this like underrated, <laughs> undervalued under the dome motif. <laughs> I really like that. I really would like that very much. Um, I I wanted to to say, speaking of uh, Disney Dome, the theme park, um, is when I was younger and probably like longer maybe than I should have. I never bothered to like look up or or know what exactly Epcot like was. I didn't know what Epcot was. I knew that there was a bunch of places where you had different countries represented, but I didn't understand it like conceptually, like the layout of it. I never looked up a map, never. I thought that Epcot was like, oh, there's the, you know, the part with the Mars ride. And then in the back, there's like a big warehouse or dome where like all of the countries get their own like corner. And there's like a bunch of booths and you just walk from booth to booth, like trying out different cuisines or whatever. I thought it was like a county fair (laughs) experience. Um, and so, and I kind of thought that it maybe was inside the golf ball. Yeah, see, I was, was going to say, was say yours, yours is not as bad as mine because I literally thought Epcot was just the ball. Like it was all in the ball. <laughs> it's all just inside the ball. I mean, that's what's ball. on the postcard that says Epcot on it. It's not your fault. Yeah. So it's a whole world of, of just in the ball. <laughs> you just... I thought that the ball... I don't know, maybe not all of it in the ball, but I kind of thought that you could go in it and there was different like booths and stuff and that the whole thing was like dome What is Spaceship Earth? It, it is the ball, but also the entire ball is all of Epcot. The ball is easily yeah. the size of a, a small city. I didn't even know there was a ride for the ball. <laughs> I, just, I thought the ball was the world showcase. <laughs> 
So I don't know. In my head, Disney Domes is already a thing. <laughs> Good point. And, and it's a disappointing one when you learn more about it. Whereas this, the more you learn about it, the more exciting it is. Like you see a postcard of the outside of the place and it's just like, oh, a bunch of domes? Like what? But then when you go inside, <laughs> yeah. it's actually really cool. And there's a ton of stuff in there. That, the great part is, the great part is if, if they're all in domes, then you can do... You can do the debarkation, embarkation ride to your themed lands in in all of the domes. So that part where you wanted to see Montressor Spaceport and then arrive there, mm. let's just throw that on the entrance of the dome. Amazing. Like you got to ride a ship to the dome. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I want to see a crossover event where you can take like you're already in the treasure planet dome but you want to get to the atlantis dome really bad and they've got like an original like um like train thing or you know like like bubble train that you take and somehow you connect the two and that's how you get to the next you can go between the domes yeah (laughs) i want i want that problem the problem with this concept alice is that uh we've said dome so many times that it has stopped sounding like a word it's not a word it's not a word anymore (laughs) i feel like we made it we might have made up the idea of domes just now because of how it sounds to me (laughs) we've been breathing in this atlantis air for too long (laughs) Uh, but it'd be cool if the outside of the whole park looked like spaceship earth like there's like the outside of the domes has that kind of I don't know a motif like that Buckminster Fuller kind of geodesic thing. Um, if we don't need the I outsides to be shaped like something specific, no, I think I think that's good because like isn't that shape good for like um, heat heat reflection? Maybe I'm I'm probably making that part up, but it is white. It sounds white's right. good for yeah. heat reflection. And you know, obviously <laughs> these domes are going to need to be absolutely covered in uh, solar panels. Like otherwise, we're we're definitely going to be destroying the environment here. Um, and with the sheer amount of water running through the Atlantis storm, dome, especially, oh god, uh, we're going to need to drain several lakes. I, I think. <laughs> in fact, you know what? Let's just drain Niagara. All right, mm-hmm. we're going to drain the Niagara Falls, uh, okay. and we're going to put them in the dome. <laughs> or should we put a dome over Niagara Falls? See, now you're talking. And that's just part of Atlantis now. It's like, no, that's this Atlantis. is Disney's Atlantis. We're rebranding wow. Niagara Falls and we're putting it indoors and we're making it go it's all the way Disney around. It's I feel like the, the people of Canada might have something to say about their side. And I'm not doing half a dome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> that's somebody else's job there's uh i don't know someone else above our pay grade does that stuff (laughs) are there other atlantean uh attractions we need to do like i i want to do something with those little flying machines that launch out of the back of the those trucks like i love the the, like dog fighting aerial like it's definitely could be a, a combat roller coaster thing where you're Either the good guys or the bad guys, and you're flying around yeah. dogfighting style. Like a, a dueling coaster yeah. kind uh-huh. of thing. That would be pretty cool. One I love as it. the Atlanteans, and one as the generic military people, surface world you know, military. There, there's yeah. got to be like a like an Atlantis escape ride, Ooh. right? Like like Atlantis is nearly destroyed at the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. They, they reactivate the shield. There's a volcanic eruption. The guy turns into a crystal. It's bad, right? Like, let's... <laughs> it, my girl my girl Kida floats in the air for, like, a while. She does yeah. float, though, she is the thing. She kind of transcends. She kind of becomes the Avatar. It's pretty cool. 
It's very cool. Yeah. I love that journey for her. Mm-hmm. But I, I also <laughs> I also think like is there is there a reason to have a ride where we destroy Atlantis? Like like do you want to do that to your themed land? Like I don't know. Is that too big for for the story you want to tell there? Not too big because obviously we're unbound by by you know money or, of course. or physics. But, but it does but like, ruin your vacation if you're there for seven days and it gets destroyed each day. It's like, oh come right. on, we were gonna. Or come like back you know, tomorrow. it breaks your breaks your immersion a little if you watch it get destroyed in the ride and then you leave the ride and you're like, oh everything's fine. Um. Well, yeah, because it can't get destroyed. It has to be your ride has to involve. Oh no, something's wrong. Oh, we saved the day. We did it. We saved. Oh, it. so you have to you have to prevent. There's the threat, but it will never actually happen. Yeah, you saved it. Oh, and then and then you get off, and and well, as your as your ride vehicle pulls back into the station, the employees are clapping for you. <laughs> you did it. You saved us. You saved Atlantis. And then you go off on your day. I like it. That's great. Uh, you, <laughs> you know, but what is that ride? Is that ride like a? Like is that? It's like the Mummy Returns. Oh, it's exactly the Mummy Returns. It's just the Mummy ride at Universal. You go forward and backward, and and I think there needs to be. That. I think there needs to be a drop element, like a vertical drop element, because Ooh. the of the whole climax in the volcano shaft. Yeah, right? in the like hot air balloon thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Super Ooh, cool. That's so cool. It's like like maybe you're in the basket of the hot air balloon. Somebody cuts the wires. It falls you know like i like there's the part where they, they fall in between the big propeller blades like i thought that was a super cool uh touch yeah. so yeah. i don't think there's any reason not to do that no just throw a park guest through these like dangerous high speed blades and um it'll never hit anyone yeah. it'll feel really immersive and it'll feel like they're actual metal blades that could chop you in half but they never it'll do. feel yeah definitely. it'll feel right yeah mm-hmm. i think and there are there are rights where we do that you know like <laughs> When, when Roger Rabbit invites us through a portable hole or when Mr. Toad gets hit by a train, like, that's scary stuff, and mm-hmm. we feel that, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, why not Big Blades, you know? Like, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of mixing the um, the practical effects with the screen effects mm-hmm. for a ride totally. like this, where the blades can, can like, feel Ooh. real and, like, maybe be practical effects, but the falling... Um, like is you're 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 falling a little, but it's mostly a screen. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, so it's it's a little Transformers the ride, a little uh, Spider Man yes. the ride at, at uh, Islands of Adventure. You know, you know how much I love Transformers. The ride I know how, how much, much you I love it. that ride. I love that ride. I love the blending of the screens and the practical effects. I think it's more effective than the Harry Potter um, Hogwarts ride as far as blending those two. The Transformers ride is seamless and perfect. And I want this to, I want it to be like that, but also it's faster, like the mummy ride. <laughs> what I, a cool I, recipe I demand you it. just came up with. That's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good smoothie. <laughs> yeah, but is there a blender in the world big enough? Yeah, it's it's problem. what we're using in this attraction, actually. Oh, the dome. <laughs> the blades in the dome. Yeah. It's the, <laughs> oh, boy. The blades are the blender. <laughs> oh, my God. The volcano shaft is the the thing you put the fruit into yeah. it's like the pitcher yeah, yeah. the park and guests are the fruit and then the juices oh, yeah it'll be great um yeah. no it's fine <laughs> is this a roller coaster tycoon show did is that what happened we, we are just going to like take off we're going to take off a piece of the track we're going to let it fly into oblivion you know it's human nature yeah. at some point it's like you know we built this thing up well enough let's destroy it let's uh hey yeah my loopy coaster let's make it go a hundred miles an hour <laughs> I've, I've seen how I can make people happy. Now let's make people scared. 
<laughs> I mean, th- those two things go together in themed entertainment, you know? Can't all just be You're absolutely happiness. right. Yeah, the plot's got to happen sometime. Yeah, I think I saw something that was like, good themed entertainment is is what is it like threats minus danger or something like that mm. and and so what if what if plus danger you know like what if what if we didn't remove <laughs> the danger <laughs> that's awesome See, <laughs> <laughs> um but but in all seriousness but in all seriousness i do think that like a a some kind of volcano shaft drop ride is is absolutely in the cards for atlantis the lost dome um yeah and and i feel like that you know can be the climax of the story it can be the the dangerous feeling ride because we've already got like the wonder the majesty the mystery but we don't have the thrill we don't have the climax and and that narratively can sit right there inside of that ride so i'm here for it and i kind of like the idea of after the story's over like like in the film you can kind of decide like it's this is a I don't know okay so we also have a hotel that's like an Atlantean hotel in Atlantis at the end of the day when the park's closing you can choose to go back to the surface world which is back to the parking lot in your car and everything leave the dome or you can stay in the Atlantean hotel and wake up tomorrow and like you get an extra hour in Atlantis before you know the surface dwellers come back <gasps> yeah it, like integrating the the stay into the narrative could be kind of cool I'm I'm telling you right now that, that you got to be able to stay in any of these domes, no matter no matter what dome you're in. You know the the Atlantis Hotel, absolutely. Like, what does that look like? It's got these big, open, airy flats and many steps and columns. The Treasure Planet Dome has um, all of the rooms are like captain's quarters. Oh, exactly, and and you've now, got a window looking out. Now you're like... staying at the Benbow in Treasure Planet, or you're staying aboard a ship docked at Montressor Spaceport, and. Like, that's where all I the just, hotel rooms are. I want to just walk around on those ships, by the way. Like, I just want to, like, climb up the, I don't know the terminology. Climb up the little thing that all the, you know, little kids would all want to climb up on. Those, I just want to climb up on those things. Like, get up to the little crow's nest and climb the little, I just want to walk around yeah. casually on those ships. That would be so cool. That would be very cool. Absolutely. They're they're all very um, jungle gym, like, uh, yeah. Tom Sawyer Island level, like, explorable spaces. Um and so also, you know, you know, for for a nominal fee, uh, these are money making ventures after all. You can you can stay within these deeply <laughs> themed environments. And what's great is that since you're under the dome, like there's stuff happening in the sky, the fake sky, Ooh, all night. Like there's so there's cool. always something happening, shooting stars or you know uh, those fireflies from that one part of Atlantis or you know wh- whatever you can imagine. We're we're having the show continues. Thanks to the yes. magic of digital technology, the uh, the treasure planet ceiling, the the dome. Um, every once in a while, a portal opens up on one end, and a ship flies through it. And a portal opens up on the other end, and the ship flies out Dang. of it. Dang, that's yeah. cool. That's super yes. cool. Wow. Uh, and and so I think, yeah, like one thing one thing that is missing from themed lands at the moment for me, and I I know it's because like it doesn't make sense um, like economically um, because no way would you be able to fit enough people to make it like viable. But I want to be able to stay in a themed land. Like Mm -hmm. I I deeply want that. And and some of the, some of the better hotels and resorts, they do that. But when are you going to get a chance to like live in Montressor spaceport? And, and we're starting to get kind of that idea like worked on with like the star Wars hotel that, isn't open at either location yet, but maybe someday it'll be kind of like that. And the other thing that those hotels are kind of obsessed with is the transport 
from the hotel to Galaxy's Edge and keeping that experience seamless. And so that's where I really do see the future of themed entertainment going is like, how can you connect your, your stay, your sleep, your eating to this themed land, to this destination that, that has been crafted specifically for your entertainment to delight you, to bring you to the world that you wish you could be a part of? And, and how can you deepen that? It's with these themed hotels. I, I'm there for it uh, for 100%. So cool. Wow. Um, are there any other attractions or loose ends you guys want to throw under the dome before we head out? What's what's your number one like Atlantis food? You know what I, you know what I think I want is um, I was watching it. They were fighting the Leviathan, and the the bad guy corporal guy. He's like, I want this thing served up with butter, and I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'd eat a I'd eat that. <laughs> so just like uh, kind of sci-fi fish stuff, kind lobster-y. of a sci-fi lobster. Yeah, yeah like. Like, maybe, I don't know, let's breed a couple of lobster. Let's get them to glow blue. Mm-hmm. A little nuclear waste. <laughs> oh, yeah, my yeah. goodness. It could just... I want to eat that. It could just be a lobster roll on, like, a blue bread or no, something. No, I need you a glowing blue like, guy. You don't have to, like, invent a new species. Why not? Yeah, the species has to suffer oh, um, no. <laughs> while it's alive. <laughs> I want to see him floating around in the tank glowing and, oh, and no. trying to fight each other. And then I want to eat oh, it on no, the plate. Oh, no, that could just be fake. You could just have those as animatronics, and then you just bring out a cute little lobster roll. Alice, we are unbound oh, by no. money. <laughs> Morals. Oh, God. <laughs> the standards of science. Yeah, I need a blue lobster to glow. This is about immersion. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I think... but, but honestly, I think I think food is not a huge part of Atlantis the movie. Right. It it doesn't it's not really about explore like I don't know, you don't really see a ton of their culture much. Yeah, yeah. But I think you could totally do um a Pandora type situation. Yes. Just there's probably different vegetation that lives down there. They've got veg- different vegetables and different flavors and their culture and their cuisine. Lots of different. mosses. Yeah. Um, various various glowing mosses. Maybe we could invent a moss that glows. That seems oh less half morally moss, questionable. Half lobster. <laughs> <laughs> half moss, half lobster sounds like nature's worst mistake. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. We're bending oh the rules God. of science. Oh, my We have goodness. the budget for it. It's fine. <laughs> What's horrible is that a mossy lobster sounds like it wouldn't taste good, and yet, and yet we cannot stop ourselves. With butter, though. And see, I want that thing served up with butter. Is what I would say every time I dig in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only food the characters really eat is um, cookies, like beans. Right. Oh, he makes this horrible bean slop. The food is a joke through the whole movie. Like, yeah, cookie is like. pulling out of the same pot and slopping it on different people's plates and calling it different things each time, but he's going back <laughs> into the same pot. It's kind of a funny joke. He doesn't even Such know what cilantro good, is. Such uh-huh. a good joke. Very and good. so I feel I feel like maybe there's a... Remember how outside of uh, Big Thunder Mountain there was a wagon where you could buy McDonald's fries? Yes. It's exactly that, except it's a wagon where you can buy cookies, beans, and they are five days old no. at a minimum. <laughs> Love it. They've been stewing for that long oh and God. reheated. Oh, gross. Um, they, got, they got the four major food groups, beans, lard, bacon, and whiskey. Uh, <laughs> and they're, they're all just right there. And, and you just, just eat these beans. Just a big, delicious in. cup of, of <laughs> baked beans. 
Honestly, honestly though, a big delicious cup of really high quality baked beans as a theme park food, I, I could get I could get behind that. Yeah, you I were just saying I wonder... that to be five days old. I don't know if it's super high quality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that, it's that stewing, it's that slow stewing process that's gonna bring the flavors out. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the food conversation really took the sun out of my sales guys. Um, <laughs> Well, anyway, so uh, <laughs> I really appreciate what you two brought to this. Like you, you brought so much expertise and like real world knowledge, and that's very practical for like jumping off points. Um, and that was awesome. I know you guys are fans of a lot of things, and you talk eloquently about a lot of different topics on a lot of different podcasts. So obviously, fans of this show are really going to like those happy places, and they probably already looked it up and have an episode queued for after this. But what other shows might they want to uh, look up? Uh, well, we've got we've got a couple other shows that release um, theoretically monthly. Um, we have a show called Rogue Fun, a podcast story. It is a podcast where every single month we are breaking down yet another section or like part of the movie Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and then its subsequent like books and novels and tie-ins and stuff. Um, we spent like two years breaking down the movie into like five to ten minute segments and talking about them. Um, and that was really, really, really fun. And now we've moved on to one of the tie-in novels, which is like a prequel. Um, that that's a that's a really fun podcast to make. It's uh, nice to go as detailed as possible into one piece of media. Uh, like do a close read of uh, of this really great movie. Yeah, uh, Rogue Fun is definitely Alice's show, um, but I have been invited along for the ride, which is just an incredible honor, actually, um, mm-hmm. because it means so much to her. And in joining her on this ride, I've learned to love Rogue One on such an incredible level. Like, Alice, it's your favorite movie, or or at least your top three. It's definitely my um, top three favorite films of all time, yeah. And when I started... Uh, listening to Rogue Fun, I started as a listener, I didn't really care for Rogue One. Um, There was just something about it. I was like, I don't know if this movie's really that good or that important or that Star Wars-y. It is now maybe my favorite Star Wars movie. I don't know. It kind of switches places with with The Last Jedi once in a while. Um, But I've never thought about a Star Wars movie to the level that I have on Rogue Fun. And we we have really found stuff about that film that's super exciting. And we recently got to interview um, Hal Hickel, who is the VFX director of that movie. Um, and every movie you've liked that has ever come out since 1996. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been the visual effects director or animation supervisor for all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, several, a, a couple of the Star Wars prequels. Uh, he worked on uh, Jurassic Park. He worked on... Um, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Rim. Yeah, he's um, uh, yeah. Hal was so generous with his time and his stories, talking about like the industry and and everything. And it's one of, one of the best, one of the best things I've ever I've ever done. I'm just so proud of of that interview <laughs> and and so like honored that he was able to to talk with us for as long. He talked with us for two and a half hours, 
just sharing stories and um, behind the scenes stuff of Rogue One and and all the other movies that we love. Of course, now he works on Mandalorian, so yep. we got some some insight on that too. Yep. Now he works on on Mandal. He's the animation supervisor for that whole show. It's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, so I would I would recommend if you were thinking about queuing up like an episode of Those Happy Places, which again, thank you so much for doing so, listeners. It's an incredible honor. But also, if you want to queue up an episode of Rogue Fun, I'd start there. Um, and then you can go and listen to us yell about the movie, which I think would be very cool as well. We have another podcast. Um, it's called Greetings from Cyberland. Um, now, Cyberland is a uh, mystical place uh, invented by one of the characters from the hit musical Rent. Um, and we have, we have decided to go back to that hit musical and film Rent and do kind of like what we did for Rogue, Rogue One, um, and kind of analyze it piece by piece and ask ourselves, you know, this is an extremely significant, uh, influential play and film. What does it mean today? Um, uh, we, we're calling it a lovingly critical revisit, right? Because the original Rent originally was uh, came out on Broadway in 1996, and it's a story about a group of friends in '96 who go through um, things like and, and talk about topics like racism and gender identity and police brutality and specifically the AIDS epidemic. Um, and and that was all in '96. And to go back to look at it in in 2020 um at some point in 2020 we thought about it and went wow all of these things are still relevant we've got you know uh, topics and 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 conversations nationally about about police brutality and race and gender expression and a global you know pandemic that um have kind of shaped our like reshaped how we want to look at rent, even the parts of it that don't age well, the parts of it that are kind of problematic now, almost, almost exactly 30 years later. And um, yeah. And so we've been revisiting it. We're doing, we're breaking it down, not song by song. We're not doing it as close of a read as, uh, <laughs> as Rogue One. Um, we could, <laughs> we could, but we're doing it like chunk by chunk. And we're talking, we talk about the history of it and the making of and, um, and, we, we were spending time with the author um, and the composer and what his influences were. Uh, it's really fun. It's really fun to make. And those those are the main things we got going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's podcasting is such a joy. It connects us uh, as friends. It's what we like to do as a hobby. Um, and we get to talk about the stuff we love. And it also connects us with other cool podcasts. Um, so, so, Andrew, can't believe that we've had such a fun time, but uh, no, I can. I knew it was going to be a fun time. Uh, and also, uh, a total honor to be here and to yell about our, our some of our favorite Disney movies and our idea for these domes now, um, which hopefully becomes a recurring series. I, I would love to come back. And uh, Alice, I think you've got ideas for Hunchback of Notre Dame. Always. Literally always. Without without stopping. I'm obsessed. <laughs> But, you know, we'd, we'd love to come back and continue to expand on some of these lesser-known movies or, you know, get outside of Disney and start to really work on, um, you know, some some of the more outlandish turn-this-into-a-theme-park ideas. <laughs> yeah, this was really fun, Andrew. Awesome. Thank you guys for, for coming on the show. And, yeah, there's it seems like you two are always cooking up new ideas for other podcasts and stuff, too. So looking you up on social media might be the best place to see what you're currently 
working on because yeah i i like you two together i really like your passions and i i think i don't know you're gonna keep making cool podcast content so i'm excited to keep following along on social media and seeing what you guys are up to yeah i'm on twitter i'm never not on twitter i'm (laughs) at buddy underscore duquesne duquesne is spelled d-u-q-u-e-s-n-e and I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok at Alice White THP for those happy places. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you guys so much for being on. Yeah, we'll definitely do another one of these. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, how do we sign off? Do we have a sign off? Yeah, of course. Ready, everybody? <laughs> Three, two, one. Say the sign again. <laughs> yes. I, I honestly don't know how to end the episodes. I always just kind of let it fade out or like someone says something funny or like I mess up on something and then uh, just kind of fade it out, you know? Just the music's coming up right now and... Uh... Uh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna start covering the hit song I'm Still Here from the film Treasure Planet. No, don't. I no. want a no, moment to be real. We can't afford it. <laughs> I feel like I, I spend so much longer editing than I do recording. It's, oh, yeah. it's I really love that part of the process, actually. It's easily, uh, you know, three times as much. Uh, yeah, unless, yeah, at least. Unless, for some reason, we have an episode due at like, <laughs> midnight. In which, case, in which case, I can pretty much do it in, like, one and a half the podcast. Right. <laughs> well, I just kind of, yeah, um, it, yeah. It depends on how much free time I have, I guess, because in the early days of the show, I would, like, just super get, like, like I don't know, I would, like, edit out, like, half a second of silence here or there, or, like... Oh, no. I was, I was like, way too over the top with my editing stuff. Um, That's the richness of the conversation. Mm, uh, but, yeah, you're right. but Alice, she is one of those people that listens at, like, 1.75. Me too, yeah. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, <laughs> because no. Because you it, like the human element. Yeah, it's the it's the the ums, the ahs, the crackles, the hisses. Like I gotta I gotta hear the conversation, um, and like I couldn't do it with even like just a standard conversation podcast. Like I want to be thinking with the people I'm listening to too, right? Aww. Like, yeah, I, d- I do ride. like that a lot. Um, and there are certain podcasts where it's like I just kind of want to hang out with these people. It's not about like absorbing knowledge into my brain. Um. So those podcasts I'll play on a regular speed and just like, just kind of be present with them. But a lot of the podcasts I listen to, I'm I'm there for the information or like for this, I don't know, just kind of to learn about the topic. And those I put on 1.75 or two speed or whatever, because um, my brain can absorb it. It's not you're not feeling like you're hanging out with the person. It feels like you're in a lecture hall, like quickly scribbling down notes. But sometimes that's what I want. I love being a student for some reason. <laughs> No, I've I've always said if I if I had unlimited money and time, I would be right back in like a college lecture hall. Like that wow. is what I want with my life. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know why because because I drove myself up a wall in college. But me too. But I guess if you had unlimited time and money, and so you don't need this to get a job, and you don't actually need a degree, you can just take the fun classes and not do the homework. Like that, I might be all about. And maybe I'll do the homework sometimes, but but maybe not. Because the thing I just didn't like was being told what to do, especially if it felt arbitrary. It was just like, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. Like, I'm ready to blossom and move on to following my own uh, commands instead of someone else's. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of bounced off. I mean, I finished. I got my undergrad. That was cool. And then I went back for some more after that. So it it, it serves a purpose. It, it's helpful. But, yeah. Yeah. I just like learning. I don't know. more. I'm more into, like, uh, 
the term is just pretentious, I think, but micro-credentialing of like, sure, I know how to do this one specific thing and I can tell you about that and put it on my resume and that's all we need to know. Like, I don't need a degree in this thing, but if I spend eight hours on it, I have enough to do a job doing that task. Like, it's a, I think the future of education is a lot more like that, like a la carte type things, um, which are really exciting. And then you can like focus on this one specific skill instead of having to have a whole degree about this whole huge genre of stuff. I think, I think yes. I think we can we can we can stop generalizing so much. Mm. Um, oh, totally. And... Things are getting more and more um, specific. Like yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. you can collect you can collect micro credentials like you would Pokemon badges. Oh my God! Yes, those are some of my favorite words. Once you got like eight badges, you can graduate with a bachelor's degree in your eight things. Yeah. Right, right. And then it's like, if you know what job you're going for, then that that's good enough. 